0: unto us a child is born unto us a son is given and the government will be upon his shoulder and his name will be called wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father prince of peace isaiah's words were spoken in a day of great spiritual darkness those words pierced the darkness on the night jesus was born today those same words still pierce the darkness for every soul who would believe into our sorrow, into our pain, into our confusion, into our loneliness. Unto us a child is born. Amen. You know, growing up as a child, I never, um, I didn't attend church. Uh, I didn't know anything about faith in Jesus. And my assumption was that God, Was a subject matter separate from the reality of life. Church was a thing you did on Sunday, but it wasn't until my high school year when I heard the gospel that it became personal to me. And all of a sudden, the richness of a Savior coming for me became a reality. And this whole idea of unto us became very personal. And, intimate. and that's what the gospel is meant to be. It's meant to be for the places in our heart that no one else sees, the places in our heart that we don't like to go, the struggles that are very real in us, that they might change us or that the gospel might change us there. And then it might begin to spill over into every area of our life to change everything about how we relate, how we see life. The gospel is intensely intimate and designed to transform us. So when Isaiah spoke the words that we've been looking at to say unto us, a child is born, he was writing with that kind of personal intimate touch for us and the people in his day for they lived in a time of great spiritual, political, cultural darkness And it would be Isaiah in chapter 9, verse 2, that would say the people who walked in darkness had seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death upon them, a light has shined. The birth of Jesus was prophesied to be that light, to be that hope, that people who had faith should live with the idea that there is hope for this life. There is hope after this life, but there is hope in this life and in me for the darkest places, there is a Savior who brings hope. So we've been looking at uh, Isaiah 9, 6. If you want to go ahead and turn there today, we're we're there again. And we're going to see what Isaiah, what God said to Isaiah about this child who would be born. The child who would come. And what Isaiah has to say as we've looked at was, really about the birth of Jesus, but it was about so much more than that because Isaiah was saying, oh, there's a day coming when this child will be born, but there's a day coming when this child will rule on the earth, that this child would grow up and he would be a king. He would be a ruler over all the world and the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Christ and he shall reign forever and ever and ever. So when Isaiah writes in 9, 6, and 7, as we're going to look at, It's about the birth of Jesus, but it's about the eternal reign of Jesus. And it's describing what that day is going to be like. Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder. The entire rule and reign of eternity will be on Jesus. He will rule. And his name will be called will perform this. Now it's fascinating. We've looked already at how Jesus came to be the wonderful counselor, how Jesus came to be the mighty God, the El Gabor we saw last week. And today, a most curious title that Isaiah uses to describe Jesus in that day, in the day to come. He says, he will be everlasting father. So if you're just a little bit attentive to what's going on here, you think, wait a minute. Jesus, the son is given the title of everlasting father, but I thought there was already part of the Trinity who was called the father. Ah, you're being very observant. Where did it go for noticing that? That's awesome. It is a curious thing, right? Wait, wait a minute. There's a father. Now Jesus is father. What's going on here? Is Isaiah confusing the two? Is Isaiah trying to link the They are three and one. Is that what's happening here? No. Isaiah is clearly talking about the day to come, the day when all of this will be ended, and on earth Jesus will reign. By the way, that's going to happen, you know, right? That's not just a fictitious, made-up story. There's coming a day when the church will be raptured away from planet Earth, There'll be a day when the wrath and judgment of God will be poured out on the earth in the form of the tribulation. There'll be a day that Jesus will return to rule on earth and he will silence all of his enemies in one great final war. And then he shall reign on the earth forever and ever and ever. For another interesting discussion would be one day, this, you know where heaven's gonna be in that day? right here on planet Earth. But that's for another time and another day. We'll discuss that, right? But Jesus in this day, Isaiah says, there's something about him that will you will be in awe of the fact that he is the everlasting Father. Now, this isn't too troublesome for us, but if you were to be a Jew living in the Old Testament, And you all of a sudden were faced with this reality that there's coming one day when there will be a child who will be born and he will be the son of God and he will be to us an everlasting father. The Jew in that day would have found that just a little bit troubling. They could have easily understood that the father's role in a home was to be the the protector, was to be the one who provided a blessing to the children was to be the one who was the compassionate one, was to be the one who was the leader, the provider, the direction giver, loving their mother, the one who was leaving an inheritance. The Jew would have understand these are all things that an earthly father is to do. But the Jew in that day, I think might have had a little bit of a struggle of thinking of God in that way. Because in the Old Testament, there are, some references to God being a father, but not as many as we hear Jesus say in the New Testament. So the Old Testament Jew would have known stories like Adam and Eve sinning and God putting a curse upon the earth. Okay. Adam and Eve brought that. They saw the people of God knew that story. The people of God would have known the story of Noah and how during his time, he was instructed to build an ark because God was going to judge the entire world and flood it. And all the inhabitants of the earth would be destroyed except for Noah and his family. So you're getting a picture of this God in heaven. They would have known the story of Moses who was given the law And he was given the law on Mount Sinai. And the people of God were told to not approach it, to not touch it, because it was a holy place. And they would have known this God is holy. He is righteous. He will judge sin. Don't draw near. He is too holy and too righteous for us. This would have been their picture. They would have known the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. They would have known about the plagues in Egypt. They would have even known about the one man, Uzzah who was with the people of God when they were moving the Ark of the Covenant. Now, they were moving it in a way that they weren't supposed to move it. God had given them a very special way in which they were to carry the Ark with the high priest or the priest on their shoulders with a long staff that was on either side of this gold box. This was how they were to carry it, on the shoulders of the priest's But on one occasion, they decided they would do something different. And they decided to put it on a cart. And they decided to let an ox carry it. And this was not how God said to carry it. And so the ox is walking along. And the the little trailer piece they've got, the cart piece they've got, has a little bump that it hits. And the gold arc of the covenant shifts And this one man, Uzzah, reaches out to steady it so that it doesn't fall off of the cart. And as soon as he touches the Ark of the Covenant, he dies. These would have been the stories that the Old Testament Jew would have heard, would have known, and known that this God, he is holy, he is just, he will bring judgment on those who violate his laws. This is the God they would have known. And so to hear that there's coming a day when there'll be a child from heaven who will be a father, an everlasting father, would have been a little bit of a brain breaker, I think, for the Jew. We know this because when Jesus does come and when Jesus begins to speak and to teach and to talk about God, He says, that is my father, I am his son. And the scripture tells us that the Jews in Jesus' day were not too pleased with that kind of reference. In fact, in John 5, it says, therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. And this just broke them inside. In fact, in John 10, it it says that Jesus said, I and my father are one. And it says, then the Jews took up stones to stone him. This was an offensive thing for the Jew. This was a difficult thing for the Jew to take in that God was a father and that someone could be his son That someone could come from him. Someone could know him. Someone could be right with him. Someone could have an inheritance with him. Someone could know his mind and know his heart. Someone was not having to be related by keeping the law, but was related because he was from the DNA of heaven. He was in. He was secure. He belonged to the Father. He was one with him. And the Jews said, "Uh uh-uh, that just can't be. There's just no way. And so they did not except that Jesus could be the son who'd come from a father. They saw God as holy, just, set apart. And the idea of him being an intimate, caring, relational God was hard for them to take in. And I'm not too sure that some of us in our day are not like that. Because most people have a concept of God that is, he is holy, he is just, he is quick to pour out his wrath, and some people even picture God today, even believers, as though he's sitting in heaven on his throne, ready in a moment's notice to strike you down if you fail him, that he is hard to please, that he is moody, that he's love you one day, not the next, that he's in, he's out, he's up, he's down, he's for you, he's against you. And this idea of God being a loving, compassionate, intimate relationship father figure is hard for people to take in, especially if you've had a difficult relationship with a father which let me just level the playing field in here this morning already. No one has had a father who was perfect, right? All of us, our best dads still fell short of the glory of God, hello? And even us, those who are dads today, on our best day, we're still nothing like our heavenly father. So let's just make sure we're all on the same page here this morning. Because you might be thinking, yeah, well, you don't know how I had it. You're right. But I know how we've all had it. We all have come from those born in the line of sinners. And no dad was perfect. And so I get it when you hear the idea that Jesus, in a day to come, will be to those in his kingdom. He'll be a wonderful counselor. He'll be a mighty God. And he will also be like a father, an everlasting father, a good, good father, a compassionate, caring, consistent, not guilt-inducing, not moody up and down, not all over the page, but loving, good father. This is significant, I think, that, Isaiah points this out, and I think it's a good time for us to stop and see what a a father provides, because God created fathers so that we would know something about him as a father, and what it will be like in that day to know Jesus as a father. So I got quite a bit for us on the board today. I hope you've brought a piece of paper and a pen and We'll see what, uh, what God has to say to us here through all of this because there are some things that a father provides for a family. A father is meant to be these within a home. A father has a unique set of responsibilities to love his children in such a way that it gives them a foundation for life. In fact, the love of a father really does determine the direction of his children's life. It's no accident that God has called a father and that Jesus will one day be an everlasting father to us. Here are some things that a father provides. A father provides worth to children. A father is the one who helps set in a family a sense of worth in a child that he has value. A father is the one who provides that. If not, if that doesn't happen, if a father doesn't pass on to a child his infinite worth to him, his infinite worth to the heavenly father, if he doesn't have a sense of worth, then what happens is he ends up with great emptiness inside. He ends up pursuing worthless things. When people get involved in activities, relationships, pursuits that are worth less. When young girls start dating guys who are worth less. When young men start pursuing relationships that are worth less. When people head off in directions that are worth less. When people choose activities and habits that are worth less, it's because they lack a sense of worth in who they are created by God, loved by the heavenly father and loved by their own father. Hello? It's true. And so fathers, you're gonna feel the weight this morning of this whole line that's about to unfold here. We should because we have a heavenly father who provides this for us and we're going to see how Jesus fulfills and fills these in us a father has the power and role of helping a child have a sense of identity of knowing you have a name given to you you have a purpose in this life you have a reason that you are here you were not an accident you didn't evolve you didn't just show up you are here by design by God's design You're here because he has a purpose for your life. And when someone knows that, then they have a sense of identity about who they are. They don't have to spend their life chasing after it. They don't have to look for it in other places because they know who they are. When a child does not have a real sense of identity, they end up causing pain. They cause themselves pain and they cause others pain because they are so much in pursuit of an identity that they've made themselves king. They are king and lord of their life. And anybody that sets themselves on the throne uses everybody else for themselves. And they take advantage of people, they hurt people, and they end up hurting themselves because they are missing their identity in what the father was supposed to be able to provide for them and show them who they are even before God. A father provides a real sense of stability in a child's life. This is his role in a home, to provide stability. There's consistency here. There is safety here. There is security in our home. I don't mean just a security system and a couple of Smith & Wessons in the closet. I'm talking about a security and a stability for the soul of a child, so that a child knows he is safe with his father. He is secure with his father. He doesn't have to fear his father. Any child that fears his father and his moods and his lack of presence and his anger one day, happy the next, any child that has that is in a place of instability in their life if they're always uncertain about the father's response to them, they don't have any stability. They have emotional instability. They have mental instability. They have a life of instability because they are chasing and looking and trying to find the place. Where is life stable? I don't have it in my house. My father is unstable to me. He's not safe place for me. And so they don't have that stability in their life. And as a result, their life is often filled with chaos. In their mind, there's chaos. In their emotions, there's chaos. In their lifestyle, there's chaos. Because they are lacking what a father is meant to give. A father is meant to provide confidence in a child. So that they understand who they are, how they relate, that they have worth, that they have purpose, that their personality is a gift, that their talents are a gift, they're not laughed at, they're not mocked because they're not like the dad. They are helped to understand the unique gifting that they have, the personality that they have, the calling that God has for them. And they find a confidence in who they are. They're confident in, their, in themselves, in their skin, in their talent, in their relationships, in whatever they do, they're confident in that because a dad provides that. A father gives that. And when there is not that, there is real insecurity in a child. There is a sense of uncertainty. There's a sense of fearfulness. There's lots of anxiety. There's lots of tension inside because life is fearful because they're not secure. A father also provides a real sense of passion or drive to a child to help him know he has a a reason to live. He has a goal to pursue. He has a purpose in eternity and God has given that to him. And a father fuels that in his children. He fuels that in his daughters. He fuels that in his sons to help them know they exist for the glory of God and for the serving of others to proclaim the gospel, to live with a purpose bigger than themselves. This is a father's role to provide this. And when it doesn't exist, what you find are children who are self-absorbed. They're totally wrapped up in themselves, totally wrapped up in what they want to do, totally wrapped up in their own comfort, their own ease, because they don't have a passion bigger than themselves. And finally, a father has the ability to provide rest for his children, rest in his home, a place where a child feels not only safe but is encouraged. You can draw near to me. Come on, let's talk. To a young child, come sit in my lap. Let me hold you. To the older child, come sit by me. Tell me what's going on. I want to hear. To the older child, I want to hear your heart. And I want you to hear what I've walked through. I want you to hear where I've been. I was you once. I walked through some struggles too. I walked through pain. I walked through difficulty. It cost me. Let me tell you. Let me tell you how it cost me. Let me tell you lessons I learned. Let me tell you what I found in Jesus. This is what a father provides. And when that's not there, A child ends up in isolation or isolated. He's cut off. He's cut off from families, cut off emotionally. He's cut off and isolated spiritually. He's in the house, but he's not in the house. He's in the conversation, but he's not in the conversation. He's in church, but he's not in church. He says he's in the faith, but he's not in the faith. He's never learned the power of of finding rest. So dads, this is what you and I provide. This is what happens when either a dad doesn't provide it or a child rejects it. And this is who you and I are when Jesus is not Lord of our life. We are filled with emptiness. We cause pain. We cause chaos, our life is chaos. There's insecurity all about us. We're self-absorbed and we're isolated, we're cut off. And all of this, because the only place to get this is from the picture in an earthly father who says this is what you have in a heavenly father. And so when Isaiah says, there's coming a day when there will be a child who will be born and he will come to earth and he will live amongst us and then he will one day rule and reign. And when he does, he will reign as a masterful, strategic, brilliant counselor. He will reign as a justice-seeking, vengeance-seeking, mighty God. But know this, that the reign of Jesus for all eternity will show us the flesh and blood, compassionate, tender side of God, and he will rule like an everlasting father to us. He will be the one that will fill everything that we have longed for in our lives. Because you know what I know, is that we all need the love of a father. And no one in this room or on this earth has had a father to provide this perfectly to them. And so Jesus says, I will be that to you. I will be the flesh and blood. I will be the one who hears. I will rule and reign, not just with a rod of iron. That is only for the enemies of God. But a hand of compassion and a heart for you, that is all for the children of God. And he is a good, everlasting father. So what I want to do is, knowing this, knowing this, I want us to look at what it means for us now in Christ to have an everlasting father. How is this gap made up so that we have all of this when a dad on earth couldn't be that for us. So we're gonna look at some scripture and we're gonna look at what happens here in this because a father provides worth. If it's not there, there's emptiness, but I want you to look at what Jesus provides to us. The Bible says that in Christ, we have his love. We have his love. We have his heart for us. So here's the deal. If you're looking for where is my worth, where's my value, where is my sense of value in life and eternity? The value is what someone is willing to pay for an object. If you go to the store today, we all notice that prices have risen. The value of things have a higher price tag today. But a thing on the shelf only has value to the degree that someone's willing to pay for it. And whatever you pay for it, that's what the value of it is, right? So here's your value you might think you're worth little, you may think you're worth nothing. You may have had people tell you you are worth less, that you are worth nothing you may be evaluating your life based on what you've done and coming up even with a negative number about your worth. You might think you are worth less, but the worth of you is determined by the price that someone's willing to pay for you. And the price that someone was willing to pay for you was Jesus coming to earth and giving up his life for you as a cost to pay for you. So your worth and your value is Jesus. That is what your worth is. Now you might say, well, I don't feel that. Look, tell your feelings to get in line because heaven has said you have a worth and it's the same worth that Jesus has. Amen? So it's no small thing when I say in Christ We have the assurance of his love. That is our worth. 1 John 3, 1, look at it. Behold, what manner of love we, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. You didn't deserve it. You hadn't earned it. You were in the negative balance. You were worthless. Nobody was coming to buy you off the shelf. But Jesus came, saw us in that and said, I'm going to put my price on them and I will give my life for them. So this is now your worth. Now, rest assured, that's the last thing the enemy wants you to know. Rest assured, that's the last thing your flesh wants to believe. But rest assured, it is what heaven has spoken and God's word contains and Jesus has proven by his life and death and resurrection. This is your worth. You have been given worth because Jesus died for you. Amen? And when you know this is your worth, you don't have to live here anymore. You don't have to live in worthless pursuits. When I see Christians who are out pursuing worthless activities, it's a signal to me right away, oh, they don't understand who they are in Christ. Because if they understood their worth, they wouldn't be participating in that worthless activity, amen? He is the everlasting Father. Are y'all with me today? You taking all this in? Okay, all right. Here's what also we have. In Jesus, because He is the everlasting Father. We also have His favor. Now, this is what's going to wreck your faith brain for just a moment here, and that's okay. Here's what Romans says We are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God. And joint heirs with Christ. Here's where it breaks your faith here in just a moment. Just listen to me, your faith brain at least. Paul approaches this in a very logical way. I think we can all relate with. We are children of God. And we all said, amen. And if children, then we are heirs. Now an heir is one who receives an inheritance and has been brought in to the royal family. Okay. Okay. Let's try this again. We are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Okay. Not sure what all that means. Let's keep walking with it. Heirs of God. Hmm. So God has riches and things he wants to give us. Okay. Interesting. He's the one who has the inheritance for us. Okay, we are children of God. Amen, yeah. Uh, and if children, then heirs. And heirs of God. Okay. And joint heirs with Christ. Wow. So that means not only when the will is read, is there inheritance for me and you and Jesus But this verse says that whatever he gets, we get. Really? I get the same thing he gets? I just came to this party a little late, though. That's okay. But I have a pretty rough past. That's okay. You've been forgiven. You've been purchased. Your worth is not in your past. Your worth is in him. And the inheritance is not because you earned it, achieved it, but because he gave it. And you have it. So let's talk about some things that Jesus has because whatever he has, we have. So Jesus, we know, is favored by the father. The father looks over at the son and says, man, I love you. You are perfect. You are my absolute delight. I need to do it this way because the father sits on, or the son sits on the right hand of the father. Hello? I love you. Nothing could separate us. All that I have is yours. I have seated you next to me in the right hand of honor. You're in the highest place of honor in heaven. Nothing could stop me from loving you. I give to you all that I am and have. I give my authority to you. I give all my blessing to you. I give you myself. And then this verse says that whatever Jesus has, I have. Yeah. Here's what you and I have in Jesus. We have the same favor. In fact, in him, when the father looks at you, he says the same thing to you. He says to the son, I absolutely delight in you. You are mine Forever, you are seated with me, never to be separated from me. I give you all authority. I give you all power. I give you all of the riches of heaven. I give you my delight, and whatever the Father says to the Son, is what He says to me and you, because we are in the son. And so when I look at my identity, my identity is not in the past of things I've done. My identity is not based on my abilities today. My identity is not in the job I have. My identity is not in the house I live in. My identity is in his favor. And when I know this is who I am, I won't spend my time doing this because I know who I am. I have a name and it's God's child. I have an inheritance and it's in Jesus. And whatever he has, I have, amen? But that's not all we have. We also have in Christ, his promise, really we could put an S out here, promises. We have absolute security. We have absolute promise from the Father. Romans 8 says this, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. Paul's saying, look, when you came to know Jesus, you didn't pick up the same spirit that you had before, where you feared God, where you thought of him only as a judge, as a taskmaster, as someone you had to cower down to. He said, you didn't receive that spirit of bondage again to fear. But this is how so many Christians live today. They live looking at God like he is this mean taskmaster, that you gotta keep him happy That you better watch out. He's making a list and checking it twice. And boy, he'll about to throw down on you. Look, the father does discipline those he loves. But the deal is, he loves us. And his promise is to us. And he says we should not have a spirit of fear that causes us to cower before the Lord. But instead, we've received the spirit of adoption. A spirit of, you've been brought into a family. You have been made a permanent part of it. You cannot be removed from it. And all that the Father has is yours. You now are in the family. And you have his full favor. You are actually even called righteous and holy by Him. Not because you did anything to earn it, but because He gave you that name. Now, because of that, it causes us to cry out to Him and say, Abba, Father, which is a very intimate term, much like we would use the name Daddy. It's this kind of relationship that we've now entered into with God. And this is why Jesus would come to be the everlasting Father to us so that we might know what we have received and who we are in this very now intimate personal relationship. We're not just adopted, we are that, but we are also now related to him by the DNA of Jesus. We're related to him because we've come from him. We now have peace with the Father, ultimate peace. We have, where we can now know the heart of the Father. He's not a moody tyrant. He's not up, down, in, out. He is always for us. We always have access we have an inheritance because now we are a child of the Father. Amen. We also have his peace. It's interesting in all the New Testament letters that the apostle Paul writes, so it's just some of them Romans, First Corinthians, Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, First Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, Philemon, some believe, Hebrews. In all those that I mentioned, with the exception of Hebrews, he begins every one of them, or includes somewhere in the opening or closing these words. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. This is not a one-time reference. This is multiple references in the New Testament. Paul wrote to believers like us to say, before I say anything to you, I wanna remind you, there is full favor and there is peace with God because of Jesus. Rest your soul. Amen? This is what we have. This gives me my confidence. I have peace with God. I don't have to wake up today wondering, oh boy, Whew, because of what I did yesterday, I wonder if I still have peace with God today. Oh my, I'm not sure. Am I saved? I don't know if I really am. I don't feel as saved today as I did yesterday. All that stuff, it's not based on my path. It's not based on my past. It's not based on my mood or feeling in the moment. It's based on faith in Jesus Christ that tells me I have final peace with God and when I have that it settles me it settles every part of me it gives me confidence when I walk through my life it's what settles the anxiety for me it's what settles the depression for me it's what settles me and allows me to walk into a room without insecurity, anxiety, and wondering what people will think. Because I have peace with God. And if I have peace with God, I kind of don't care what everybody else says. Hello? It doesn't matter anymore. My peace is not based on what people think of me. My peace is based on what the Father has said about me. And I have peace with him. Only a Father can provide that. And our Heavenly Father gives it in Jesus. Amen? A different Christmas message, huh? All right, let's move on. We also have His Spirit. There's a passion that you and I are meant to live with, a fire that you and I are meant to have. We've been created with a, a, a vacuum for it sin destroys it, being self-absorbed removes it. But when I have the fire of God in my spirit inside, when I know I have his spirit within me, it truly gives me power and passion in my life. Here's what Romans also says in 8.16. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. I love this word here, bears witness. It's a legal term. It says the same thing. Another word that you might hear today is he corroborates the story. Not cooperates, corroborates the story. He confirms it. He agrees with it. He, ex- he says it is true. And so this verse says, the Spirit of God corroborates with our spirit that we are children of God. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have, your spirit has been changed. You have a new spirit within you. And, but just be honest with me. Are there days that sometimes you don't feel like you belong to the Father? There's days you feel that way. But deeper inside, there's a spirit that in you that says, No, I know I belong to the Father. I put my faith in Jesus Christ. I know it's I know that's right. Now you might have a little argument inside your head and heart about that, but here's what the Spirit of God does. The Spirit of God says, you're right. The truth is you are. Stop agreeing with every other voice and start agreeing with my voice. Corroborate with what I've already corroborated. You belong to me. You are mine. Let that fill you with a passion in your life. Settle the deal. Get past the questions and say, I am a child of God. The spirit of God corroborates with my spirit inside. I am. Put that to rest. Be done with it. Settle the elementary. Lay the foundation and let's move on. That's what he calls us to because in Christ, that's what we have. And this is what a father provides. This is what our heavenly father provides. And then the last one we also have in Christ, we have his heart. We have the very heart of God available to us in human form in Jesus. So if you ever have any questions, what is God like? What is heaven like? Just look at Jesus. You find out what he's like. Hebrews 4 says this, for we do not have a high priest, one in heaven, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. In other words, we have someone in heaven who can sympathize with our weaknesses. He knows, but was in all points tempted as we. He went through what you went through. He went through more than what you went through. Oh, you don't even realize the depth of what he went through. It'd make yours look like a walk in the park. Hello? He went through a lot more. And if he went through it and was tempted in the same way, then you've got somebody you can talk to who can say... I understand. And he did it without sin. And that doesn't mean you can't come to him. That means all the more reason you wanna go to him. Because he did it. He walked where you walked. He faced much greater trials than you faced. He's been through much more darkness than you have faced. And he says about this Jesus, who is like an everlasting father to us, You can come to him. You can hear from him. He will tell you what he walked through. You can know you've got someone who feels what you feel, knows what you know. But he goes on in verse 16, he says this, let us therefore come boldly to that throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. There is one, only one, who has walked through more than what you've walked through and then says, come to me. I'm willing to talk about all of it. In fact, I put the stories out there in this so that you would know them, so that you would hear. And this is what a good father does. This is what an earthly father does. An earthly father is willing to say to his children, I've walked where you walked and where you're walking. It's tough. I've been there. Let me tell you my story. Let me tell you what I've messed up. Let me tell you where I've walked. Jesus says, let me tell you where I've been. Let me tell you what the Father did for me. This is the child who was born for us. This is the one who is the everlasting father to us. The flesh of heaven come to earth and will forever reign as an everlasting father. So this ought to do a few things for us. It ought to help solidify this message that we have had a child born unto us, unto you, for all the places that you have failed, hurt, not got this from your earthly father and it lived in this, oh, you can have all of this and have it all in Jesus to provide this for you. Jesus does that. But look here, this is unto us. And if we know this, then it must fire us to go unto them. Because there is a world today who does not know this. Dads are collapsing around us. Dads are cratering all around us. Dads are not fulfilling their role because they've not known how or because they're choosing to walk in sin. And what we're seeing is a generation defined by this right here. This is today. This is every news update we see today. This is what's going on today. And we should never be the ones who shrug our shoulders and say, oh well, okay, Sirrah, Sirrah, I guess that's the way it's all gonna pan out. I guess that's just the way it's gonna be. No, you and I have been given the same good news that Isaiah was given. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And he is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, and the everlasting father who gives people this so that they can know this and be free in their life. Man, this fires me up as a church. What a calling we have to celebrate the birth of Jesus, but to also Celebrate the calling we have in Jesus to take this message unto them so that others can know the Father that we know. Amen? But on a very, very personal note, I want to close with this today. No one in here has had the perfect earthly father. But there is one now in heaven who says, I understand, I know, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. There can be healing where there's been such hurt. If you've had an absent father, I know of a present father if you've had a dad who only spoke death to you, I know of one who will speak life to you. If you've had a father you thought you could never keep happy, I know one who was delighted in you because of his son. If you had a father that all you felt was condemnation and guilt around, I know a one. I know one in heaven now who says, come to me. There is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus and you can be in my family, amen? Would you bow your heads with me? I would invite you this morning to, maybe this is necessary to say, Father, forgive me for not turning to you as my father. I've looked at so many other places. I've made so many mistakes. I have caused pain. I live in chaos. But today I'm coming to you because you are the true, perfect, everlasting Father. And I ask you to heal me and help me to now walk with you as my Father thank you that that's possible in Jesus. Father, I ask for that spirit of adoption and family to pour over this place, to pour into every heart where there has been a spirit of slavery, a spirit of fear, a spirit of rebellion, a spirit of rejection, a spirit of depression, a spirit of anxiety. God, I ask you to replace all of that with the spirit of adoption. May it fall on every one of us this morning that we might be healed, that we might be whole, that for all the paths that we've walked in because we didn't know you as Father, we repent of those today, we turn away from those things We turn away from chasing after what we thought could fill us and we return to you, the one who created us, the one who is our Father. I thank you that when we were without hope, a child was born unto us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. God is good. Amen amen i'll ask our ushers to come this morning as we receive our offering today Uh, it's a good time of the year to give and remember what the lord has done for us and give in return and give out of what he has given us i also want to remind you that um this next week on Saturday, Christmas Eve, we'll be here for two services at 4 and 5.30, a night of worship and music. You'll wanna be here again. Some of our children are singing. Uh, We'll have special music that night. The band will be playing one of our Christmas favorites here at Vertical. Uh, It's been a couple of years since they've done it. I promise you, you will leave excited after this and filled with so much hope and joy. And then next Sunday, we will not have services in person. It'll be Christmas day but we have already put together a video for that day that you'll see show up on YouTube and our social media that you can watch. If you wanna watch with your family, you can. It's about 15 minutes. It's some music and a brief message that I believe will uh, fill your heart with joy on Christmas morning. All right? Well, very good. Why don't you stand with me today? And we will be dismissed and we will go today in the joy of knowing our Father. Amen? Amen. Let's lift Him up and...